because we fear what we might miss out on in life. Oh no, I can't. I can't commit to serving God like that. I'd have to give up this or I'd have to give up that. It was just after the summer of 2001. Patrick McGinnis and his soon-to-be friends of MBA candidates of Harvard University were finishing up their applications for Harvard University when terrorists attacked the World Trade Centers and the Pentagon. Now, a couple of years later, in 2003, these same friends who would become eventual graduates of Harvard were in school, and now world, the world just seemed different now. Post the attacks there on 9-11, on of course, life was different, things were different, and the class of 2004 was to be regarded every moment as an essential experiential opportunity. According to Patrick McGinnis and his friends, all you wanted to do and all they wanted to do was live their life to the fullest at every second because you just didn't know when your life would be over. Those attacks, many of them had friends that were up on those towers and they were young and they had so much potential left in life and their life was taken in a moment. All they wanted to do now was live life to their fullest. Every second, said Patrick McGinnis. You felt the need to do everything all the time because you'd seen your own mortality. It was at this time, this group of friends decided to their best, to do their best to live life to the fullest and desperately try to fulfill their desires as quickly as they could in case they didn't have a tomorrow. Every second of the day was planned with their rudiment, their, uh, their simple algorithms they made with their cell phones and address books, and they didn't really have the technology we have today, but they had everything planned to the second. They wanted to spend as much time with friends, with family as possible. They canceled a lot of their vacation plans because they didn't want to spend it alone. They wanted to spend it with each other and friends as much as possible. And though it may sound like a decent way of life, you can imagine that this started to take its toll on these friends. It had its costs, this mentality. McGinnis and his group uh, found they couldn't commit to anything. They couldn't commit to long, long-term projects or long-term jobs because they felt like it would take them away from their friends and family and things that they wanted to fulfill in life before their life could be over. They started canceling things and shifting their work, and, and even some of their friends started, uh, getting, started uh, quitting their job so they can find a different job that could allow them to do more things, and their lives just weren't going the way that they had thought they were because they were trying to live their life to the fullest. It seemed every second they weren't, that they weren't doing the required things like work, sleep, and eat. They were madly trying to do, well, everything else. McGinnis and his group eventually gave their anxiety a name. And this is really the first time we ever hear this phrase before, but the phrase FOMO, the fear of missing out. Now in 2023, the, the term fear of missing out or FOMO is a term that is used often in 
Uh, we don't really, it's just a, it's a term that's kind of come and gone now. Fear of missing out. On what, though? They weren't exactly sure. But they wanted to make sure they didn't miss it. Because the unknown can be quite terrifying. We live in a world today that does have fear. Not even with the wars going on. Even if there wasn't wars going on in our world today, there's always an opportunity to be fearful about something. And for many people, it's the fear of missing out on something that they could potentially be a part of. We come to our passage here in Genesis chapter 3, and we see something similar happening, this FOMO experience happening all the way back at the beginning of time. We come to Genesis chapter 3, and what does verse 6 say? This is a, a, a verse, uh, a passage most of us are pretty familiar with here. In fact, just in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? If you look back in chapter 2, we, don't, we won't read it, but God just finished creating the world. It was beautiful. The Garden of Eden was, I mean, a perfect environment for mankind. What could you possibly want more than the Garden of Eden? It was perfect. But in verse 1, the devil now, called the old serpent here, comes into this serpent and asks Eve a question she'd never really contemplated before. She'd never heard a lie. She'd never heard, uh, at this point in time, creation was at its pinnacle. It was perfect. Mankind had never sinned before. Even her complete innocency listened to the words of the serpent. Challenge the authority of God for the first time. Verse 2, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it. Neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. I often picture in my head this serpent coming up to Eve somewhere in the garden. Somewhere, we don't know where, but not next to the tree. Not next to the fruit of the tree. Eve, I think, at this point, knew, okay, we can go anywhere, but we can't eat from that one tree. So I imagine her and Eve probably did their best just to avoid it altogether. I mean, we can't, we can't eat it, so why be near it? I imagine they were maybe a distance away from that tree when the serpent came up and said, Hey, Eve, hath God said ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden? She says, Well, yeah, we, we can't eat of that one. But then verse 4 happens. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. A blatant lie coming right from the mouth of the serpent. Because if she does eat the fruit, she won't drop dead that moment. But as soon as she ate of the fruit and passed it on to Adam and Adam eats of the fruit, the Bible says that death began at that moment. The time clock on the body started right there. There was no such thing as death up to that point. But as soon as the sin was committed, death began. Death was created, essentially. Verse 5, he continues, For God doth know 
that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, part of what he's saying is true, because their eyes, look at verse 7. After they ate, verse 7, the eyes of them both were opened. And all of a sudden, they realized that they were naked. They realized something was off. They began to see the difference that they're now, now, now that there is an evil to combat the good. Before, everything was good. Now there's good and there's evil. So part of what the devil is saying here is true. But all he wanted Eve to do was disobey God just once. Now, I imagine the serpent now, he plants this, this idea, this thought into Eve's head. And now she starts walking towards the tree. Perhaps it was a, a little distance, a ways off. Sometimes in our, our, our picture books maybe that you see growing up as a kid, normally you see the serpent in the tree of knowledge of good and evil tempting Eve. And she's already right there under the tree. I imagine Eve actually being a little ways away now, contemplating. What if, what if I eat that apple? What if, the, what if he's right? What if I don't eat the apple? What will I be missing out on? Think about it. What, is, what does the serpent say here? You won't die. In fact, you'll be as God. And if I don't eat of this apple, what will I miss out on? Eve finds herself maybe walking towards the tree now. Now we know Adam was nearby because she walked right up. I don't know if Adam was there. I don't know if Adam tried to stop her. It doesn't seem like it. She eats of the fruits. Passes it on to Adam. A tree, verse 6, a tree to be desired to make one wise. This was a thought, a phrase that Eve couldn't seem to get out of her head. What if? It was in that moment Eve became discontent with her state of mind. She now realizing that there might be more to learn out there, more to be understood. Mm. If I don't eat of this fruit, there might be so much more I'll miss out on in life. This FOMO mentality, this fear of missing out mentality can have some devastating consequences in our life. And I want us today to just look at two consequences today of living this fear of missing out mentality and how it could hinder our life for the Lord. The first thing I want us to consider today here is the fear of missing out can hinder your walk with God. It can hinder your walk with God. Remember the story I was telling you about Patrick McGinnis and his friends? Well, just before graduating from Harvard, another student of Harvard invented a way to help keep all his classmates in touch. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. At first, this guy's invention was created only for the students of Harvard, but eventually, Mark Zuckerberg made Facebook public to the, to the world in 2006. And since then, McGinnis and his buddies felt the pressure of FOMO surge to even greater heights now, as now they know what all their friends are doing, and now they can see instantaneously all the things they're missing out on. 
It surged, and not just amongst them, but all their friends. They became more connected with everyone all the time. And even though that wasn't necessarily the original intention, it wasn't to create uh, fear amongst everybody, that's just the natural uh, thing that happened because of it. More activities and more things to do now, more friends to keep up with. And I forgot about him. He was cool. Let's see how he's doing. And more info to keep up with all the time and more people to stay in touch with. It gets overwhelming. Of course, today we could laugh at this a bit because now most of us, if we have any kind of social media, you know, you may have on there, oh, you've got 500 friends or 1,000 friends and you probably don't remember much about most of them anymore and we don't really even care as much. But when it first came out, boy, it was tough to keep up with everybody. What are some real-world examples of this fear of missing out that we may experience in our daily lives? They did this big poll and had people send in what was their number one worst fear of missing out? What was their their number one fear? And these aren't in any particular order, but some of them were going to an event or a party that you didn't want to attend. Say, what? People would go, and apparently this is happening today, people go to events and activities that they don't, they don't want to go to, but they go to them because they don't want to miss out on what might be there. Oh, we're getting together over here. Yeah, I got a lot to do. I, got thing, I really have things to do. But they end up canceling them, going, and they don't even want to be there in the first place. How about this one? Feeling pressured to buy a new car. Sometimes your friend pulls up in a nice car. Man. And they, they say, hey, come on in. Let me show you my car. Oh, that's nice of you. And they open the door and you go in and, man, you're sitting in there thinking, oh, man, I wonder what we like to have this. Man, it must be nice. Oh, look at that sunroof. Oh, the, oh you could roll the, oh, the, the door handle works on this car. Man, I should get one like that too. And, oh, you don't have to pay for gas? Fantastic. Man, what, imagine what that would be like. Now this pressure, I had a friend growing up, and uh, he, he, he started working a, a carpentry job. He went to college for a year, and he didn't really work out, and he got, uh, there was a guy in our church who was a, a professional carpenter, and um, he, he, uh, he was much older than him, of course, but he, he offered to bring him on as an apprentice. Now, he, he had never gone through school or anything. He was literally saving this kid so much time and effort, and he would teach him and train him and all the ins and outs of building framing and all this stuff. And um, my friend was learning so much, and they would go back and forth with each other. My friend was my age, and uh, this guy in our church, you know, he was, he was in his uh, early 40s, but yet they would, they would pick at each other like they were brothers. And they would always make fun of each other, this or that, and who's stronger, and who's... This is kind of the, the, the friendship that they had. But uh, my friend drove a small little car. I don't even remember what the car was. It was, a, it was a nice car. His dad bought the car for him. It was basically brand new, but it was a small fast little car but uh, uh, the man his name is John John he drove a really nice truck I mean vroom, vroom. like it had the power in it and every time they would pull up for work he would tease him and rev his engine vroom, vroom. and you know he'd roll down his window and say things like one day you'll get a man's truck like this you know it, just little teasing like that and but it started the teasing started to get to my friends so much that without well, from what I was told, without much permission, 
he sold his car. That was, he just got, my friend's like 19 right now, sold his car and used what little savings he had to buy himself a bigger truck than, the, than John. And as you could imagine, parents weren't too thrilled about this, weren't too happy that uh, as debt started to climb and this truck was costed way more money than this kid. I don't know. He had to swindle. It, it was a, how it happened was pretty crazy. But he did this because he wanted to, well, he wanted to up his friend and he also wanted to feel what the power was, what, it, what all the talk was about. And after a few, uh, after a year or so, I remember asking my friend, so are you happy you made this financial decision? He says, no. This is the worst mistake of my life. He says, I have to work overtime just to keep up on payments. He says, I have no life. He had to cancel his activities, his parties. He had to cancel everything because he had to pay for this truck that he thought he needed. Another uh, poll that came in, Ben's watching a new show because everyone's talking about it. A new movie, a new show called, oh, did you see the show? Did you see the movie? Oh, no, I didn't watch it. A group is talking about something and you wish that you could be a part of it. There's an inside joke that's made. You wish you understood the joke, so now you have to go and you have to figure out what this means and you find yourself doing things you don't really care about, but you do it just to be in. Not getting jobs like your friends was another one. I wish I had a job like that. And it causes some people to do crazy things in order to try to be better. Going to the same school or college as your friends was another one that came up. Uh, you hear another one that came up was your friends go to a restaurant or an activity without you, so you, you go the next day just to see what all the hype is about. Feeling depressed because you can't go to a certain event or outing. I remember when I was a kid, um, my parents d- didn't feel I was ready to go to junior camp. They wanted me to wait till I was a teenager. They didn't want me to, they, w- didn't, they didn't think that I as a 10-year-old could go away for five days with my friends, which to be fair, that's five days is a long time with your friends and uh, letting uh, a couple guys in your church look after them. So I remember my mom said, but you can go up, or my dad said, you can help drive the kids up to junior camp and drop them off, but then you have to come back. I said, okay, well, that, that's something. But I didn't realize that that would make it twice as hard. I helped. I drove up to camp. You smell camp. You know, it's just, ugh, I want to be there. All my friends are choosing their bunk beds, and I'm helping, them, I'm helping them put their clothes together. And I was excited about what's going to happen. And, and then the day came. The moment came. All right, Tim, it's time to go. I'm like 10 years old, starting to cry. I want to be there so bad. I don't care. I'm 10. I'm, I'm not crying because I want to hear the preaching so bad. That's not why I was crying, unfortunately. FOMO. Feeling jealous when uh, other people go on holidays. You didn't get to go on that particular one. How about when big sales come out? You get this FOMO, <gasps> gotta buy that, gotta buy this. I gotta, you don't need it. You have a nice phone, you have a nice this or that, but oh, but the possibility of an upgrade, what would I be missing out on? I know so-and-so is gonna flip his phone out and flaunt it in front of me. I wanna know what that's like. All these things can go through our head. Constantly scrolling on social media, oftentimes seeing what everyone else is doing can, uh, can cause this kind of anxiety to creep up in our life. And, Oftentimes, we as parents, too, this wasn't on the poll, but oftentimes, we as parents, we don't, we're scared 
or not just parents, but anybody in this room, we're scared sometimes to serve God or commit to Him because we fear what we might miss out on in life. Oh, no, I can't. I can't commit to serving God like that. I'd have to give up this, or I'd have to give up that. I couldn't, I couldn't commit all that. I don't want to miss out on what the world has to offer me. Eve didn't want to miss out on this potential opportunity. Eve was willing to disobey God in order to feed her fear. Oftentimes when we choose not to serve God because of fear of, of what we might miss out in life, we sometimes we, we, uh, we will choose, if we serve God, then uh, we're going to miss out on some of the finer things in life. If we, if we serve God, we might not have as much fun in life. If we serve God, we can't be maybe as worldly as I'd like to be. If we, if we serve God holy, there's going to be some music maybe I have to give up on. And, oh, I just love my music. And if I serve God too much, I have to give up some of my entertainment that I really like to, to listen to or watch. Or maybe there's some hobbies I have to adjust. And we think in ourselves, I don't want to miss out on all these things. So God, I'm going to have to put you in the back. And we let this fear hinder us from serving God. I don't know where we're at today, but I'm sure there are times in our life where we chose to ignore God because, we, because of something that we wanted to do. And it's time for us to start examining our life and asking ourselves, Lord, is there, is, there, is there something in my life that I'm not willing to give up? Lord, can I be closer to you? Is there something? And I know if we were to really honestly look up to God and say, God, what are some things in my life that I, I do enjoy, but I probably should get rid of. I'm sure everybody in this room would have something. Consider today fear over faith. Fear, we think that if we don't have this thing in our life, we will be miserable. But I'm here to tell you today that God knows what's best for your life. And yes, you may really like this certain item, this certain thing, but you'd be surprised when you give it to God. God, I don't know how I can give up this music. I don't know how I can give up this, this form of entertainment, but Lord, I'm going to give it a shot. And you'd be amazed, the closer you get to God, the less that you even want to do some of these things. FOMO can hinder our service to the Lord, but it could also, lastly here, it could hinder our love for God and others. It could hinder our love for God and others. The word fear is exactly the opposite of what God wants in our lives. God doesn't want us to be fearful about anything. If we live our lives doing things out of fear, then we miss out on the peace and joy that God intended us to live with. To do things out of fear means that you are doing them from a place of obligation or worry. Oh, I don't want to miss out on this. Okay, I'll do it. And it's not that sometimes you don't even really want to do it. You're doing it just because of the sake of fear. There's this element of pressure and it becomes a case of having or needing to do something rather than wanting to do something out of love. When you do something out of love, you do it because you are motivated by a strong desire to do it. Fear is, is a motivating factor, I know. Fear is certainly a motivating factor. In fact, uh, there are seminars and there are teaching guides to help marketers give people 
FOMO, to give people the fear of missing out so that they have to buy their products. I mean, there's seminars on this. You go on the internet, you type up FOMO, there's going to be a list and list of, of marketing schemes on how to get, and, and, it, it's, and it, it, honestly, it's, it's a good marketing because if you fear something, it, fear is a, a strong motivator. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Fear hath torment. Nobody wants to be afraid, to be fearful of something. It's tormenting. Nobody likes it to be scared. The fear of not being loved or not being needed or not being noticed is a very tormented way to live. If I don't do this, I'll be out of the clique. I won't have friends anymore. I won't know what's going on, this or that. Sometimes fear of, like I said, not being loved. Fear of not being needed or noticed. It's tormenting. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but what? But of power and of love and of a sound mind. If you fear, if you have fear today, just know that's not from God. Because that's what Paul says here. God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Fear is not something... That was intended in our bodies. But I want, to, I want you to turn to something real quick. If you could turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. I want to end with this. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And in verse 13 is a very, I would call it a famous passage. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter 4. I know this verse very well growing up. This was what my mom would consider her life verse. Philippians 4.13. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Some of you know it by heart, so if you're there, let's all read it together. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I've heard that verse before. How many of you have heard that verse before? You should all raise your hand because you just heard it. Philippians 4.13. There's famous, famous there's a famous basketball player, maybe one of the most famous, Stephen Curry. He used to always, before every game, he'd pick up his shoe and he'd write the phrase, I can do all things. And I wish he wouldn't stop there. I wish he would give the proper context through Christ. And that's another story for another time. We look at this context, sometimes we use this verse as like a rallying cry to feel great exploits in the name of Jesus, you know? Uh, uh, you can do this because the Bible says you can do all things through Christ. And we, we use this as like a, a rallying cry, so to speak. But I want you to look at the context of this verse. Look in verse 10. Verse 10, this is Paul. He's speaking to the church in Philippi. He says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. 
So he's saying, I appreciate you, church in Philippi. Whenever the opportunity arose, you were always so good to me. Verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. You say, what's, the, what's happening here? Learning to be content is one of the hardest state of minds to master. I don't think we can master it. There's always something in us that kind of wishes we had something a little bit more. The desire to have more and to be more prosperous, have a few more things and have just a little bit more respect, to learn how to be humble in all things, to be content with the poor lifestyle you may think you have, or to be content during times of hunger or loneliness or sadness or grief, to be humble when no one knows all that you did for them. Think of a parent to their kids, all the things you do for them that they'll never really truly understand. How do we accomplish this lifestyle, this state of mind in which we can learn to be content with everything? We're not constantly fearing this or fearing that or fearing of missing out in life. How can we reach this seemingly impossible state of mind? Through Christ. You can do it through Christ. You can be humble through Christ. You can be content through Christ. That's the context of, chapter, of Philippians 4.13. Yes, we can do a lot of things through Christ. But man, if we can reach a state of mind where we're humble, where we're content with the life that God has given us, just imagine what God can do for us. Imagine the money we can save. Imagine the grief that we can have on our life where we're not worried about what everyone else is doing. But God, what do you want me to do? And that's where true joy comes in. Because the closer you get to God, the further away you get from fear. The closer you get to faith in God, fear goes further and further away. Faith and fear are almost opposites, in a sense. How do we overcome this FOMO, this fear of missing out lifestyle, this mentality? Let's keep our trust in the Lord. Let's keep our faith in Him. Let us stop, let us uh, fear Let us not let fear stop us from serving and loving the Lord. Let us learn to be fearful about, let us learn not to be fearful about missing out on worldly, temporary things, but rather focus our attention of serving God as best we can right now. Don't worry about yesterday or tomorrow. Just serve God as best as you can today. If you could stand with me now as we close in prayer here. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.